Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media or to tune into our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Now here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to Acts chapter 8 as we continue our study verse by verse in Acts chapter 8. I've entitled our Bible study, Scattered for the Gospel. The early church is in a place of scattering right now because of the martyrdom of Stephen that stirred up the anger of Saul. As we see in verse 3, Saul made havoc of the church entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. And it says in verse four, therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. And that's where we are. We're learning in this section, verse by verse through the book of Acts, we're learning in this section that God will do whatever it takes to stir you up in ministry and in service and in your commitment to him. Why? Because God is looking to develop obedience in your life. He's looking to develop faithfulness and he isn't gonna allow us to be stuck in a place of apathy or indifference or even going backwards. God knows the times in which we live and he knows the urgency of getting the gospel out to the lost. And when we don't know or realize what God knows about the times in which we live and the urgency, then what does God do? He stirs us up so that we'll see things his way and get along along with his program for our lives and for the world. You can jot it down in Luke chapter 19 and verse 13. Jesus is giving a parable And he says in verse 13, he called the 10 of his servants, delivered to them 10 minas, and he said, do business until I come. And that's what God is looking for. He's looking for you and I to do business until he returns. That was the whole point of the parable. The whole point of the parable is whatever God has given to you, you are to use for his glory while you are expecting his soon return. And so God is desiring our faithfulness, not idleness. And he's entrusted to you certain riches, certain possessions. He's entrusted to you your life and your mind and your intelligence. He's even entrusted to us the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we can do business, the Father's business, until he comes. And I can almost hear God say, what have you done with what I've entrusted to you? How have you used, what kind of stewards, how have you stewarded and overseen the things I've entrusted to your care? And this is that season in the early church where they're making progress and experiencing great resistance. Today, our attention is turned to a man by the name of Philip. Philip was one of the original seven men that were raised up and chosen to take care of that need in the early church with the widows. Not only were they feeling neglected, but they were murmuring and complaining, and it was such a crisis in the early church. And Philip was one of those men that was chosen. And he too, like Stephen, was faithful in the little things. 
And God began to give him more and more. Later on, we won't, it'll take some time for us to get there, but in chapter 21 we're of, of the book of Acts, we're gonna learn that Philip had four daughters that he raised in the ways of the Lord. And these four daughters prophesied and exercised the gift of prophecy serving the Lord. And so we learn very early that Philip was a godly man and he was a godly father and he raised godly kids. He was the type of the guy that would stand before you today and say, hey, I know there's a lot of choices out there, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And can I just remind you when we think of Philip, if that is the choice you need to make. That choice must be made today and over and over again. Even if, and especially if, in the past, you didn't make that choice. Because you can be overwhelmed with regret over the past and think back and go, oh, I wish I would have. Look, you can't go back and change the past. It's a decision you need to make today now with all that's going on in our culture all the pressure that's coming upon our kids and our grandkids the place of change is the home it's not the church the church is a tool that god uses the gathering the committed pastors that are serving your kids right now the faithfulness of the sunday school teachers and the leaders there those are all important but i don't want you to think for a moment that that is all your kids need or that somehow we replace the responsibility you have as parents, you have as grandparents to disciple your kids in the way that they should go. That's your responsibility. And over and over again, we find ourselves praying for you more and more. Parents, lead your kids. Parents, teach your kids. Parents, disciple and discipline your kids. It's biblical and necessary. And Philip stands at a time of great difficulty. If he is able to do it, we are able to do it in the strength of the Lord. So here we are. Philip, it says in verse 5, went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. He went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. All the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And notice verse eight, mark this. There was great joy in that city. The gospel of Jesus Christ always brings great joy. The power of God showing up to a city you, you got unclean spirits. You have people that were demon-possessed, delivered. You have marriages rescued, people getting saved. You have people that were paralyzed, starting to walk, and the lame are healed. The power of the gospel has invaded Samaria. And so as the scattering comes into Jerusalem, other people will benefit from that difficulty. And I see that in our own lives, don't you? Other people benefit through the trials that you go through and through the trials that you endure. God is using everything in our lives for his purposes and we must trust him no matter what we're facing even right now in the moment. Why? Because God is worthy of your trust and you will make it through this. You might make it through it to another one and you might make it through it to another one and to another one, but God will show himself faithful and now the people in Samaria are benefiting from the trials in Jerusalem. So Philip is called to the city of Samaria. 
Samaria was not a popular city and it was not a well-looked-upon city by the Jews. As a matter of fact, the Samaritans were treated with great prejudice by the Jews because of their mixed heritage and because of their resistance to worship the one true God or to worship in Jerusalem. There were a lot of difficulties and the Jews wanted nothing to do with this group. They had false worship, they had a false temple, and even Jews would avoid Samaria because they didn't want anything to do with them. Now, let me just pause here. Anytime we mention the Samaritans in the New Testament, we have to be reminded of this truth. There is no room for prejudice among Christians. Zero, none. It is not from the Lord. It is not a mark of the Spirit. It is not agape love. It doesn't matter what a person's skin color is, what language they speak, what their legal status might be, what country they were born in. None of that matters. We are to love God and we are to love others, our neighbor, because they are men and women, boys and girls created in the image of God. No room for prejudice, church. It doesn't matter if you were raised with it. It doesn't matter if you have some good reason or some good excuse. I'm telling you, whenever you see prejudice raised up in your heart, in your mind, and even acted upon, you are in the flesh, you are in sin, and it requires your humble repentance before God. You're not going to make the kind of progress that you really want. You're not going to experience. You're not going to experience the fullness of a relationship with God if you continue to nurture that prejudicial attitude toward others. I mean, it's pride. It's arrogant pride to think of ourselves more highly than someone else. The Bible says the, it teaches the exact opposite. Not only are we all created in the image of God, but the Bible teaches us to think of others more highly than ourselves. It's the exact opposite of the heart of God. And that's how the Samaritans were treated by the religious Jews. And you'll recall in Acts chapter one, in verse eight, there was the promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, and Jesus said, when you receive the Holy Spirit to come upon you, you're gonna be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the other most parts of the earth. And I wonder if some heard that and go, you know, you guys might be called to Samaria, but I'll never go there. And yet God has sent right here, this scattering is fulfilling Acts chapter one. So let's think about, let's ask this question and answer it a few ways. Why was Philip sent? Why is he in Samaria? I would say answer number one, God sent him there. It is God's will for Philip to go to this difficult group of people, to the outcasts here, to those that received no attention or were being treated prejudicially. God sent him there. Number two, why was Philip in Samaria? Number two, because God loves the Samaritans. God loves the Samaritans as much as he loved the Jews. God's heart broke for the lostness of the Samaritans and he sent Philip down to reach them with the gospel. And I think thirdly, the reason why Philip's in Samaria is that God said the gospel is gonna get to Samaria. So somebody needed to go. Someone needed to be there. And as a result of the scattering and the persecution and this guy Saul that's wreaking havoc in the church, God now sent Philip there. Now you've got Stephen right away. We just finished studying his life as given to us in the book of Acts. Stephen's standing there and he's preaching the gospel to the religious rulers of the day. 
And Philip was sent to the Samaritans. And it reminds me that we make a big error. We make a huge mistake when we start comparing what God has us doing with someone else that God has something else going on in their life. God has you preaching to the authorities and doing great things for God. You know, I can think that we're a few people looking at Stephen thinking, I wish I could do that. I want to preach. Well, just wait 10 minutes, bro, because they're going to kill him. You may not want to do that. But you know, outwardly, you go, oh, I want that prominence. I wish I could preach to those, to those people, to those religious rulers. But the Bible, you got to understand, God didn't call you to do that. He called Stephen to do that. And then you might look at the Samaritans and go, oh, I wish I wasn't called to the Samaritans. I wish God would have sent someone else. But no, no, no. God sent you to do that work. It's a unique thing that he has fashioned you for. And it's important that you realize you just need to be content with what God has you doing. Be happy where you are. Grow in understanding that God will have you where he needs you, where he wants you. Some people like Stephen will lose their lives for the gospel. Some like Philip, they'll be used briefly and then you really don't hear from them again till later on. But all of us are important. And as the gospel comes to Samaria, it's like, man, they were ready. They were ready for it. The multitudes listened and lives were changed. And notice the result, verse eight, there was great joy in that city. Just like you can say there's great joy in your marriage because of the gospel. Great joy in your home because of the gospel. Great joy now in your work because of the gospel. It has changed your life. Now, that's not to say there isn't difficulty. That's not to say that you're not battling in spiritual warfare. All of that exists, but it doesn't diminish the joy that God wants to give you, that you already have in him. Yeah, you may be unhappy in some things, but you can be both unhappy and filled with great joy because God has changed your life. However, wherever there's great joy and wherever there's great work of God, whenever God's doing a transformative work, there is going to be opposition. And so if you notice from verse eight, and there was great joy in that city, if this was a movie, the music would change. Dun, dun, dun. There's great joy in that city, but there was this guy. It says right there, there was this certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city, astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying this man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and the signs which were done. Now, in Bible study, one of the most significant parts of Bible study is understanding the context. And I don't want you to miss the context here. It's important to look up the Greek words. It's important to understand the history, what's going on in the time frame, the audience, all that's important. But chief among the important parts of Bible study is context. And we're introduced to Simon here by way of contrast. 
You know, most of your Bible questions can be answered by looking at the context, looking what comes before and what comes after the troubling verse that you have. Now, not everything is answered that way, but a lot of questions are answered if you just look at the context. And we'll see in a moment that there's a little bit of controversy surrounding Simon. Is he a real believer or a fake believer? And I'll lay that before you in just a moment. But we start by being introduced to him on the backdrop of great joy. So the gospel brings great joy, but there was this guy. There was this guy. Now, Simon used to be a sorcerer, or at least as they're writing the text, he's described as previously practicing sorcery or practicing magic, if you will. Now, in that day, magic was a mix of science and superstition, combining astrology, divination, and occultic practices. It could be trickery, but it was mostly demonic in nature. So sometimes when we mention the word magic, we we might think of it in today's context, which is mostly sleight of hand. Somebody just messing with your eyes, and you think you see something, but it's really not. But in the first century, these guys were messing around with the demonic, This was demonic. These demons were behind what Simon the sorcerer was doing. And the demonic realm was real then, and it's real now, and we just need to stay away from it. And the people, when Philip comes with the gospel, they left the false for the true. So Simon's got this whole city following him, and now understand what's happening in his life. The gospel has taken away all of these people's loyalty And now they're devoted to God and following Philip. And Simon goes along for the ride. Once the truth was preached in Samaria, many came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and abandoned Simon. Even so, Simon appears himself to believe, it says in verse 13. It says, Simon himself also believed and he was also water baptized. And then he started following Philip and watching, it says. He was amazed seeing all the things that were done. So Simon has just lost his huge following and he makes a profession of faith. But I believe, and this is where the debate is, I believe Simon is not truly converted. I believe he makes a profession of faith and even goes into the waters of baptism but I think he's faking it. I don't believe he's a true believer. I believe he's a make-believer. And so we have to step back just for a moment, and it's very important that we hear this and ask the question. So you can just answer out loud. I'll ask a couple questions, and you can just answer it out loud to me. Is it possible for a man or a woman to fake a confession of faith? Yes, it absolutely is. And then the second question is, are there those in the church that are really not saved? Yes, even though they say they're saved, even though they may have prayed a prayer, even though they might have even gone into the Aurora Reservoir and been baptized with the holy water of the reservoir and still be unsaved. Unfortunately, as you say, yes, it's possible even in this room now or knowing the message goes out beyond the walls of this building. It is possible to own a Bible, to attend attend church regularly. It is possible for you to give financially 
It's possible to have the only radio station on your radio be tuned into Grace FM. It is possible to do good deeds, to be a very religious person and still not be saved. Jesus said, unless a man, and by way of extension, unless a woman is born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. True life only comes from God on the inside, not the outside. So people can be living their whole life with religious activity and never personally be connected to Jesus. To be shocked and surprised when you meet Jesus face to face and he says, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. And you go, but what didn't I do all these things for you? Wasn't I very active for you? And the word from Jesus says, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. It's important for you to know today that a prayer doesn't save you, that attending church doesn't save you, that owning a Bible doesn't save you. Only Jesus Christ can give new life. Only Jesus Christ through the gospel. We are not ashamed of the gospel here. It is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. It is the power of God to change and transform your life. But there will be those that fake it on purpose. They will fake it on purpose in order to take advantage of the things of God. Jesus said it would be so. You can jot it down in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 24. He gave the parable of the wheat and the tares. That there would be good seed sown and there would be bad seed sown. He said just let them grow up together because the harvest will show the difference. It is required for you to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But I don't want you to confuse the word personal. Personal doesn't mean private and hidden. It means individual. That, that what, it, what it speaks to us today when you think of personal relationship, it, it speaks of your, your mom can't save you, your dad can't save you, the, the Christian heritage you might have been born in can't save you. It, it is something personal that's individual for every single human being. Unless a man, unless a woman is born again. And, and if you were to see in the scriptures, well, a family was saved, that means every individual person in that family made a choice to repent from their sins and receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean just like God just like, oh, okay, all of you guys are saved because dad made a profession of faith. Every single person, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, son, daughter, cousins, everyone must make their own personal individual. Far from being a private matter, your relationship with Jesus is a public matter. It is not to be hidden or not to be shoved aside. You know, I grew up in a home where religion and politics off limits. My dad would say that was private things. He didn't really want to talk about them and we didn't talk about them much. But the Bible would teach us otherwise. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is a public matter. You are a witness and witnesses, they testify to the work of God in their lives. Simon, it does say, believed. But you know, not all belief is saving belief. And not all faith is saving faith. Because the Bible says that the demons even believe and tremble. They don't have salvation, but they believe what they see. They, 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 they understand the reality of God they just don't, they've chosen to rebel against God. And so there are those that say, you know, I believe in God 
Yeah, but do you? I believe in God, but where has that led you? I believe in God. You know, I'm good friends with the man upstairs. Really? What does that mean? Has he transformed your life? Have you turned away from your sin? Have you committed yourself to following God as he dictates? It's not enough just to say, you know, I believe, I believe. But what has your belief translated to in your life? The question isn't merely, do I believe? The question is, am I born again? Am I born again? Do I, am I a man or a woman with new life? So the city is coming to life, but Simon is taking advantage. And we'll see that in a moment. Verse 14 now. When the apostles who are at Jerusalem heard that Samaria received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So here now, the Samaritans are receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We were introduced to the Greek word epi, E-P-I, back in a previous study, but it's used again here in verse 16. They have been born again, and the Spirit of God has come in them, but now the, the apostles hear about it, and they come and teach them about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit of God comes upon them for power and service. Now, this is a, this is a neat thing, because remember, the early church starts in Jerusalem. The word of God to them is they're going to be faithful in Jerusalem, and then as they go out, they'll be, go to Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. However, when the gospel goes to another place, it starts over again. So now the Samaritans have become witnesses and they're going to be faithful in Samaria and then they're going to go out and they're going to continue to spread the gospel in different areas. And, and as you translate that, I think of it even as I, as I think of my home church back in California, when I walked into that church and was born again, the ministry of God in my life started there. And so I needed to be faithful there, but then God is going to send me out to Aurora, Colorado. So now there's a new home base. And now as we, we serve God here, we've got to be faithful here, but then you're going to go back to a workplace. That's your home base. You're going to go back to another city. That's your home base. And as the gospel continues, it multiplies because everyone is faithful at home first, and then home base is where the gospel launches out. So now a new home base in Samaria is going to happen. And then there'll be a new one in the Judea area. And then is with Saul of Tarsus. He doesn't know it yet, but he's going to be the first missionary going off around the world. And the gospel keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. Now, notice with me as we continue in verse 18. This is an important thing. When Simon saw... So he's watching the whole thing. We already know that because he's following Philip. He sees all the signs and wonders. Now notice this is a key moment in Simon's life. It's a revelation of his heart. None of us know the hearts of men and women here, but there are times when your heart is clearly revealed. This is where it's like everybody thinks Simon's saved. He's going along with the program. And here is his revelation of his heart. Notice. 
Now, when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, give me this power also that that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Let me give you this passage in the Phillips translation, a paraphrase of the New Testament. And when when Peter sees him, he says, your money perish with you. Here's this translation. Peter said to him, to hell with you and your money. That's a little more modern. It's like, you could take that money and go to, you know. Now, how dare you think you could buy the gift of God for money? You can have no share or part in this matter for your heart is not honest before God. He says, this, this is, Simon, you're, you're not real. And I know that this could be a simple new believer mistake, right? You could look at this and say, well, wait a minute, Simon just doesn't understand. He just doesn't realize it. He just doesn't know. And, and that may be an accurate representation of situations like that, until we see in the text, God gave Peter a word of wisdom to call this guy out, just like he did with Ananias and Sapphira prior. I mean, because if you were looking at Ananias and Sapphira, they're bringing all this stuff as an offering to the church. How would you ever know that they were holding things back? It didn't look that way. They said it was everything. How would you ever know? Well, God revealed it with them, and now he's revealing it with Simon that he's just lying. He's looking for an opportunity to take advantage of whatever this is that Philip has brought. I don't think he even has a full understanding of what's happening here. Simon saw a spiritual manifestation as the Holy Spirit descended upon the believers and he wanted it for his little magic show. He wanted this power. He wanted the people following him again. Simon, as one commentator said, was only interested in prostituting the spiritual gifts. Do you know we actually have a phrase today, it's not used very often, but you can look it up. We have a phrase today that describes this activity that comes right back to this man named Simon. It's the phrase simony. Simony is the purchase of power or position in the church. A little historical background, there was a period in the Roman Catholic Church from the mid-900s to about 1050 where the office of the Pope and many other church leadership positions were sold to the highest bidders. For example, Pope Benedict IX was made Pope at the young age of 12, bought and paid for by his handlers so that his handlers could rule the church. And Pope Benedict IX would become one of the most wicked popes ever to fill that false seat of authority. According to Philip Schaff in his history book, in 1049, Pope Hildebrand had the practice of simony prohibited on the pain of excommunication, including all the guilty bishops, all the priests that were ordained by him. 
but it was found to be such a strict prosecution that they would lose all their leadership in certain areas of the church that they decided that they could just give 40 days of penance and purchase their own repentance, substituting instead of getting them out. So basically, the Roman Catholic Church at that point said, no more of this, but when they found out it would ruin all their leadership positions, they created a place where you could buy it twice. Buy it to get in, and buy it to keep it. Unless we point the fingers at the Roman Catholic system of religion, Protestant, Protestant churches, many of them did the same thing as well. And before we start pointing our fingers at Protestant churches, I think we have to understand today, as I'm speaking, there are many churches that are being prostituted for personal gain even as I speak. It's not so much a church problem, although some church systems and religions need to be done away with. They're false. It's a man problem. It's a heart problem. It it is a man-made religion problem. And it was a problem in Simon, trying to prostitute the gifts for his own game. And Peter said, no way. You have no, verse 21 is very instructing. You have neither part nor portion in this matter. Your heart is not right in the sight of God. So he calls him to repentance, verse 22. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart might be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. So outwardly he looked like a believer, but inwardly he was far from God. And then Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord for me that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. So when they testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Look, wherever there's a great work of God, there's always gonna be resistance. There's always gonna be people trying to take advantage, always be people wanting. I mean, we've, in the history of our church, we've seen a lot of people come and wanna take advantage of the people of this church. And we just won't have anything to do with that. You are not allowed here. You cannot take advantage of this church. You can't draw people after yourselves. That is why you have pastors and teachers and shepherds here to take care of that issue in your life to protect you so you have an environment where you will be taught the word of God in spirit and in truth, where you can worship and know that, hey, you know what? There are those that would come and say, oh, I want to take advantage and I want to use this church for my own way. But like Peter, we just say, you know what? You have neither part nor portion in this church. We're not going to allow it. And, and you can think of the emotional part of this. Like, like just think about you, were, you, were, you got saved uh, in Samaria. You got saved. And right next to you, Simon says he's getting saved. And then you all head out to the reservoir and everybody's getting baptized. And you happen to go into the waters. You're getting baptized by this pastor. Simon's right next to you getting baptized by another pastor. And when you guys are both done, you're excited. Everybody's clapping. You're high-fiving. You become friends with Simon. And then you're watching this happen. And you're like, what? Don't do that to Simon. What's your problem, Peter? Who are you? Go back to Jerusalem. And yet, there is that place where you, you and I, we need to learn to trust the leaders that God has put in our lives. Because when there is an issue and some issue needs to be dealt with in any church, most likely you'll be tempted to take sides. And most likely the side that you take will be with the one that most emotionally attaches to you. And for example, if it was Simon, you're like, I can't believe it. What'd you guys do this to Simon? 
And then we would ask you, did Simon tell you what he did? Oh, he told me and it only made me more mad at you. And then I would probably say, I don't think Simon told you the whole truth. Well, then you tell me. And at that point, we would probably say, you know what? We can't tell you. We don't want to destroy Simon. We don't want to ravage his character. You just have to trust that the brother is wrong and we tried to help him. You know, the early church in Corinth dealt with that too, where that guy, everybody knew it, that guy was laid up and he go, why are, you, why are you involved in that sexual immorality? Call this brother to repentance. And you and I, we must be careful that the Bible says the first one to plead his case sounds right until his neighbor comes and reproves him. And I would even say the person that wants your ear and is going to share their whole story to you that's more biased on their side, they're breaking confidence in order to somehow affirm something that isn't true. And I think we would have an emotion. What are you doing that? I was baptized with Simon. How can you say his heart is wrong? It's like, yeah, his heart is wrong. And we know a lot more about him than you do. And you've got to trust us that he wants to take advantage of you. And we need to pray for him. And it's a good thing for you to be in a church where the leaders and the pastors don't gossip about people in the church. We try to take care of it the best that we can. We follow through with Matthew 18, according to the word. We believe in church discipline, but we want to see reconciliation. We want to see repentance. The word to Simon wasn't get out of here. The word to Simon was repent. That's the answer. Turn away from your sin. But if you choose not to turn away from your sin, you're not going to take advantage of these people. You're not going to prostitute the gospel for your own sake. You're not going to steal or take people's innocence or their devotion to God because you have not, because your heart is not right. Verse 21, your heart is not right in the sight of God. And you know, when I look at the life of the church over the years, we always got, there's always something going on. Some kind of warfare, somebody coming in wanting to do. I mean, I found out about a situation even this morning. There's just always people wanting to take advantage of the church, wanting to hurt people in this, in this church. And I mean, I may be speaking to someone where the Holy Spirit is just like showing, like, like that's you. And I'm just telling you, the word of the Lord is for you to repent. This is not the place and you're not to go to another church and do it. God wants a relationship with you. He doesn't want you playing your game all the time. He doesn't want you manipulating all the time. He doesn't want you hurting his sheep. Jesus takes it personally when you mess with his bride. He's not going to allow it. And to the best of our ability, we aren't either. And you know, we look at the difficulties in the church and you just have to understand back in verse eight, whenever there's great joy, wherever there's great progress, there's always great resistance. And to me, it's concerning as a pastor when I hear about our church not having much spiritual warfare lately, not having some weird thing happen. Like if we're making progress and we're doing what God's called us to do, this church is gonna be filled with weirdness and filled with difficulty and filled with warfare because the enemy wants to distract us, wants to take us out. He wants us to be so upset with one another and so mad. I mean, think about if Simon was an issue and we're like, I can't believe it, pastor. Why would you do that to Simon? And then you start complaining, then you start gossiping and then we're taking care of all kinds of stuff among believers, not fulfilling what God has called us to do in this city. 
I mean, seriously, it happens. Like, I'll be involved in things. It'll take me eight hours, 16 hours. The pastors are always involved taking care of stuff with believers. And we're like, why are we dealing with this? You're a Christian. You read your Bible. Why don't you just repent? And we're begging and we're pleading. And then there's fighting. And we're just like, come on, man. Like, what is happening here? Like we are, we're spending all this time trying to solve a problem that you should be solving yourself because you have the Holy Spirit in your life. And while we're all fighting, infighting, whatever we're dealing with, trying to solve a problem, trying to beg you not to sin, whatever it is, the city is lost and dying. And we're dealing with what? It was like, what? Like, why? And I think you have to ask yourself that. Why? Why get involved in things that take you away from your mission? And it's not even your mission, isn't it? It's God's mission for your life. You could say in a very real way, can't you? We are in a mission for God. But if you get caught up in these secondary things, it could be surrounding a person like Simon. It could be surrounding a situation, a decision. It doesn't matter. We need to learn to trust the Lord with our lives so that we aren't poisoned by bitterness. We're not bound by iniquity. And then Simon, you know, we don't get to the place where he doesn't even want to change. He's confronted, he's rebuked, which is really, you know, you want to have people in your life that will tell you the truth. Did you know that? You want that. As hard as it is, you want people in your life that will tell you the truth. You don't want people in your life that won't tell you the truth, that won't tell you what's going on, that won't confront you when necessary. I mean, I even think of the, a pulpit. You, you, in the pulpit today, you don't want to be in a church, and I, you're not in that church here at Calvary. I can tell you that right now. But I know the Bible study goes way beyond here and it's important for anyone listening to me. You do not want to be in a church where the pulpit is filled with someone that's not willing to tell you the truth from God's word. That is not good for you. They are stealing from you. They are stealing holiness from you. They are stealing righteousness from you. They are stealing holy living from you. Like you don't need somebody in the the pulpit that's like a life coach, right? Just like, oh, you're going to be fine. You're going to be great. Here, correct your swing a little bit. Everything's going to be fine. Have your best life now. No, you don't need a life coach. You need a pastor. You need a man to stand in the pulpit to teach you the Bible word for word, all the good, all the bad, all the easy, all the hard. That's what you need in your life. Whether you want it or not, that's your problem. But you need it. And I need to be told the truth. I need to receive it because faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? A life coach. No! By the word of God. Now, if you're a life coach, that's needed in different contexts. Maybe for your work or something, I get it. But the pulpit is to be filled with anointed pastors of the word of God period. Anything else, you're wasting your time. It's just not even, you're just wasting your time, and that's why you're not making any progress in the things of God. You need the Word of God in your life, and sometimes that Word is going to be say, repent. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So Father, we pray as we turn our hearts and attention to the to the work of your spirit through your word right now uh, because we need to grow and we want to grow and sometimes we don't want to obey and, and we've got so many issues going on in our hearts, Lord. We just pray you pour out your spirit upon us. We don't want to be a Simon where we fight the obvious work of your spirit, but yet rather, God, we want to yield ourselves to you today in a fresh new way. 
And I do pray for the many men and women who have a genuine, sincere desire to follow God, but they're in a church or a gathering that in no way is helping them. I pray you would help them. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Church. For prayer, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. To listen to this message in its entirety or to join us for our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.